Welcome to Authors of the Pacific Northwest, where we connect authors with new listeners and provide advice to aspiring authors on the business of writing. I'm your host, Vicki J. Carter. So hi there, podcast listeners. Thank you so much for coming back to the Authors of the Pacific Northwest. And today I have the privilege of introducing you to, if you don't already know her, Anne Lee Parrish. So Anne, would you like to say hello to the listeners? Hello, listeners. I can't tell you how happy I am to be here. Oh, I'm super thrilled to have you on, Anne. Um, I was reviewing your website, and I have a lot of questions for you, so I hope you don't mind. (laughs) I don't mind a bit. Good, good. Well, let's introduce you a little bit to our listeners that might not know who you are, and I'd like to start out with what state in the Northwest do you live in? I live in Washington State. Woohoo, good state. (laughs) Sure, even though it's wet. It is. At the time of recording, y'all, we just hit um, our first, I think it's our first stormy day of autumn today. Yep, yep. Yeah, I went out, took the dogs for a walk, and we had a couple of tree limbs come down, not on us or near us, but enough to be like, okay, time to go in. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) And so, Anne, share with us a little bit about you as far as um, your life. Are you a full-time author? Is that your day job? I am a full-time author. I have had the great good luck to be able to be that. Uh, for a long, long time now, uh, over 30 years. So I'm very, very grateful. Oh, you're blessed. And, and that you're one of the authors I love to have, a type of author I love having to come on the podcast because you're an inspiration for us, the rest of us that are making our way through the journey. So thank you. for. Well, sharing. I very much appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. So um, I have a couple of questions that I don't prepare authors for because it's kind of fun to ask them and see, you know, what comes out of that. And um, one of them as authors were often told, you know, be reading, make sure you're reading a lot. So what is on Anne's reading desk next to her bedside? Oh, well, I'm just about to finish up a wonderful novel by a gentleman named Peter Ho Davies. Mm-hmm. And his novel is called The Fortunes. And it's spectacular. So I really recommend that. Um, I just also finished, and I know I'm not going to pronounce her name properly, um, the Rachel Kusk, excuse me, C-U-S. Yeah, yeah. She wrote a a brilliant trilogy, Mm -hmm. uh, the last installment of which is Kudos, and I just finished that. Equally breathtaking. Um, And I read in the paper that she has an essay collection out. I don't remember its name, but I'm quite keen to get that. Oh, wonderful. Well, it's such great text. So my listeners love to hear. And then I also, you should see my, since I've been doing the podcast for the last 18 months, besides reading authors that come on the podcast, my growing list of new people to read from the recommendations is just growing. It's endless. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Which is a good problem, right? (laughs) I agree. Yeah, yeah. So, Anne, you said you've been writing for 30 years and I did a little bit of reading. You know, you you did go and, and your, I believe your educational background is in writing as well. Am I correct? Well, actually, I majored in economics at the University of Colorado in Boulder, and this is many, many, many moons ago, as the saying goes. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then I went directly into graduate school uh, up here at the University of Washington. My husband Mm -hmm. and I moved up. Mm -hmm. Uh, He went to law school while I was doing that. And I got an MBA, a master's in business administration. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just 
I just really wanted to write fiction. So I worked for a couple years while he got established. And then I was able to just sit back. Well, I don't mean to suggest it was easy or that there was anything easy about it. Mm-hmm. But I was able to really concentrate, focus mm-hmm. on fiction writing. That's fabulous. That's wonderful. Oh, it was. It I still bet. I, I am um, dreaming of the day. So my whole journey, if you have, you probably haven't had, you know, listened to the podcast, but my listeners know this. So forgive me listeners. I'm saying it again. Um, so a year ago, I, I just spoke it out and said, I'm an author. I'm a writer. Um, up to this point, my husband was the only one that knew I was writing in secret <laughs> and um, doing a lot of reading. But I said, you know, time is now, seize the day. And then I started to talk to authors around me about their journey. And then I'm like, oh, this is such a great podcast idea. And thus the podcast started and it's taken over the writing process, the writing space, I just say, just a little bit. <laughs> but I'm working on my first manuscript, my first novel, fiction. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. And I, I'm enjoying the process so much. It's really, really exciting. But it's not my full-time job. We call my writing the podcast the side hustle. <laughs> so I dream uh-huh. of, of it being full-time. Um, so when did you know you were, I mean, you, you talked about, you know, you went to work with your with your degree, but then you, you just wanted to write fiction. Did you know before that where you, Oh, absolutely. I knew, um, as a young girl that I was very interested in language. Um, but at that time, uh, my real passion was the piano. So I I worked very hard at learning to be a classical pianist. I was going to go to Juilliard or one of the other major music schools. Uh, but then when I was in high school, I, I basically thought, no, I don't want to do that. So I, you know, just went the liberal um, arts route, didn't mm-hmm. focus in music or on music. But once I was in college, I found that writing the research papers and really getting all the words in the right place, that's what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. That's what I really, really liked. So it kind of grew out of that. Mm, I love it. And research writing is such a wonderful skill. Um, it is. I, I'm a librarian also, so I'm I'm very partial to research writing and research. You know, um, my bug, I got my bug in high school doing journalism. I was in journalism. Oh, class. yeah, sure. And, and I was like, oh, my goodness, this is so exciting. I want to do this. Well, here I am now, years later, whole different path, and now I'm starting to do it. <laughs> so, Well, you know, but life is that way. It is, it is. Well, I think we're better authors when we have some experience behind us. So I couldn't imagine mm-hmm. coming out right out of high school and trying to produce something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you have quite a collection. So my listeners will know that when they're not driving on I-5 or elsewhere, they will stop and look at your website. And by the way, an absolutely beautiful website. I'm going to have to say this too, because um, I'm a connoisseur of websites because I see plenty of author websites. And I'll tell you what I love the most listeners about Anne's website is that the photographs are actually featuring Pacific Northwest scenes, which is dear to my heart. <laughs> so beautifully done. Um, Thank you. But you have listed a lot of accolades and awards, and we'll get to that process in a minute. You also have quite a few titles of books that have been published over the years. And we'll yes, get- Maggie's Ruse is my seventh book. 
heavens, seven. I just, and I, I have to say, and excuse the interruption, no, it's I okay. just about a week ago signed the contract with my publisher for book number eight. Oh, how so, exciting. Yeah. <laughs> that is yeah, great yeah. news to share. So we should always celebrate a signing for that. That's for sure. Um, so talk us through your writing process. And I know you do poetry. You also, you know, you do fiction and poetry. Is there a difference between the two for you as far as the process or do you have a ritual you go through kind of walk us through what it looks like for you when it comes to the writing well poetry is a recent passion for me i didn't begin writing that until about 18 months ago um wonderful and uh, i've had to my mind at least a surprising degree of success in getting my poems published that said to be fair to myself i have worked very hard on language as an element of writing uh probably more so than plot, although plot is becoming more important. So I think that did help me a little bit getting my poems published. Writing poetry is a very different experience from writing fiction. Um, It's much more visceral. It's much closer to the heart. The language is terribly important. Imagery is crucial. Uh, It's all of the things that we, that we pay attention to in fiction, just amplified and magnified. Mm -hmm. In terms of a ritual, I really don't have one. I just, I keep at it. These days I have several different projects all at once. I've got the new novel I'm working on. I'll also probably have at any given time a short story that I'm working on, a couple of poems here and there. And most recently I've decided I'm going to write a novella, which I'm going to um define as a work of fiction that's going to cut off around 30,000 words. So certainly nothing that one would consider novel length, hence mm-hmm. the term novella, but I've never written one before and I thought, why not? Mm-hmm. So if, you know, if I get stuck with one project, I'll just go and work on something else. Just keep gotcha. at it. Gotcha. I like it. And, and I would guess that you're writing consistently, you know, every single day you're spending time writing. Pretty much, mm-hmm. pretty much. Mm-hmm. I don't remember when I took a day off uh, last. I don't write the same amount of time mm-hmm. every day. You know, I really don't. If I'm mm-hmm. editing or copy editing or doing line edits or something, you know, I may be spending more time. Some days, you know, I don't really write very much, but I'm always thinking about it. I'm always arranging things in my mind. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. I think that is a, a definite theme that I hear across the board with authors is that if they're not consistently writing every day, they are always thinking about their projects they're working on. It's like always in motion in their brain going. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And that's something I definitely experienced myself too. Um, so can you share with us, because um, do you write in one specific fiction genre outside? You know, I, I, I love the fact that poetry has just started for you 18 months ago. That's as long as this podcast has been going. So I, wow. know, that, yeah, I know the birth of something like that is exciting. Um, but as far as your fiction work, do you stay in one genre? Have you traveled around the genres? <laughs> I, I write literary fiction. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what I write. Now, that said... Um, I wonder if some of my books aren't a little bit more commercial in that plot, as I said earlier, is becoming more important. And as writers, we tend to make this distinction between literary fiction and commercial Mm -hmm. fiction based on the relevance or the prominence of a given plot. Mm -hmm. But I would say it's, it's pretty, pretty much literary fiction day in and day out. 
Mm-hmm. Awesome. Wonderful. So you said you have seven books published. The one that we're going to talk about, you're going to talk about and share with us today is your seventh book and it, it comes out in October, correct? October 1st is the official release date, correct? So listeners, while you're listening to this, it's already out. So I hope you're jumping in there and finding Anne's website and getting the book. <laughs> so there we go. So talk a little bit about your publishing journey. Has it been the same through all seven publications or did you? Oh, no, 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 no. (laughs) Um, Well, for one thing, I've published different kinds of books. Uh I've published four novels and three short story collections, and I've worked with several different publishers. So I've been with Unsolicited Press now, my current publisher since 2016. But prior to that time, um, I have had a number of different publishers. And what it's, it's not, Go ahead. I was just going to ask, what would be your advice from all the years? And I mean, I, I know this is asking kind of a loaded question to a small impact little answer. What would be your advice to somebody like me who I'm not published? You know, I'm looking into the whole industry. As far as working with a publisher, what would be some valuable advice you can share with me? Well, I think it comes down to certain preliminary decisions that you need to make and you don't have to make them all at the same time and your opinion about these these items will change as you go. Um, I think you have to decide what kind of publisher you want to aim for. Do you want to aim for a big five publisher? That's kind of the pie in the sky, what everybody sees as the best option that you can get. I have not published with a big five press. I stay with the the smaller independent presses. But Mm -hmm. if that is what your goal is, then what you need to do seriously is look into how you get an agent Mm -hmm. because it's Mm -hmm. very hard to get into those national, big, well-funded, very choosy, selective presses without an agent. And finding an agent is an entire process in and of itself. So. There's that. Yeah, if you you don't feel that you want an agent and you want to approach publishers directly, you need to start researching who is out there, who is publishing what. Mm -hmm. And there's some very good resources. I rely on poets and writers. Mm -hmm. Um, They have a website. They will have a directory of small presses Mm -hmm. listed alphabetically, and you just take your time. You look people up, click on their links, see what they're publishing. It's very important to be aware of how many books a press is bringing out a year because Mm -hmm. the fewer titles the press is bringing out, then obviously, mathematically speaking, the choosier they're going to be. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a small publisher versus a mid-sized publisher versus a large big five publisher that will not really look at anything unless it comes through the hands of an agent. Awesome. Awesome advice. Thank you so much. And you're welcome. I, I'm kind of leaning towards independent, uh, more independent publishers. And yeah, yeah, I, I've met, oh, I, I should say I've heard about plenty of them in the last 18 months with interviewing authors. And, and I, I know which ones I'm leaning towards, but it, you just re- mentioned another resource that I have not featured on my show notes. So I'll make sure that that resource is there for other authors like me that are along the journey getting started. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're very welcome. Um, let's talk about marketing for you because I know that it seems to be the subject um, that most authors will talk about amongst themselves, even with, you know, as an independent 
when you're working an independent publisher, you you as the author have to be able to get out and market yourself. And You do. You do. And I am fortunate in that I work with a publicist who is very active on my behalf. She's really great. Um, I think for any author, it, it comes down to what are your personal resources? What are your financial resources? Mm-hmm. Can you afford a publicist? Mm-hmm. Um, some people can or lesser amounts. Another thing to be perfectly aware of is, is know when you have signed your publication contract, what is your publisher going to do for you? Mm-hmm. Where are they going to send your book? How are they going to promote it and make sure that what you are doing, whether you work with a publicist or not, meshes with what they do, that you're not duplicating effort, that you're covering all the bases. So it's time for those candid conversations mm-hmm. when, when marketing is on the table. I love it. And I love that you work with a publicist. I did meet your publicist because that's how we um, got you scheduled here on the mm-hmm. podcast. Now, I'll be honest with you. I had worked with a publicist for the podcast starting out and my experience was a little rocky. Um, and so I'm like, Oh, I'm never going to work with another publicist again. It was kind of scary. <laughs> then, then I yeah, I, the personality thing. Right. And it's a partner. Yeah, And experiences differ and you want someone who really has good connections. Exactly. Exactly. So, and from what I've seen, just even researching you and looking at, you know, your website, I, I can imagine that um, some of the accolades and awards probably do you, would you agree that you might not have been able to be exposed to those? Had you not have had a publicist sending them out for you or how did that well, work? Well, I basically, when it comes down to sending books out for awards, I take charge of that. I do okay. that. Okay. That's um, good to know. Because I've been submitting my individual short stories for years. Um, I didn't have an uh, my my first book length collection of anything did not come out until 2011. So mm-hmm. prior to that time, I was just sending out individual short stories, and I learned a lot about you know what are the awards out there and you know who who's doing what. So that really gave me a leg up. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned the short story aspect. So I'm in a writer's group in my area, and uh, there's four other authors besides myself. All of them are published in one way or another. We have a playwright. We have uh, two of them worked in the, the newspaper industry. We were just talking last week about short story submissions for the purpose mm-hmm. of, you know, gathering um I would say a platform for an author of getting, mm-hmm. you know, the accolades and the awards. And we were talking about, you know, where do you submit those? How do you find them? Can you give us some pointers? Well, again, I'm going to refer you right back to poets and writers because right. they have, a, in, in, whether you get their print issue or you look them up online, they have a calendar of grants, awards, and contest deadlines. Nice. They will also have listings for just calls for submissions, and these are about places that are not necessarily holding a contest, but they are saying, okay, our reading period is open we are looking for manuscripts you have until such and such a date and they will give you their guidelines. And it's always crucial to look at guidelines when you're sending out. And by guidelines, I mean, they, they will say nothing over 5,000 words, nothing previously published, even on a personal blog. And you do have to respect that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Awesome advice. Now I'd heard, I just remembered, I, I remember I got a bookmark with the poets and writers advertising their, you mm-hmm. know, artwork, and, and you reminded me of that. And I never went and looked at the website. Now I'm like, man, I should have went there and <laughs> checked it yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. What a great resource. And I'll share that with my writers group too, because we're just kind of compiling ideas, several of them. Um, one in particular, he has a phenomenal amount of short stories. And so he's trying to, you know, he has also novel length manuscripts um, and he was thinking of starting with the short stories. So, Well, another thing I can recommend is Twitter as a platform is a wonderful resource for writers Yeah, uh, because has- a lot of smaller literary magazines are active on t- Twitter. They will post uh, when their submission um, guidelines are open and you search through hashtags, uh, mm-hmm. hashtag short fiction, hashtag short stories, hashtag lit mags, something like that. And it should pull up things or, or direct you. Awesome. What a great tip. Thank you so much. I'm on Twitter and I'll tell you the, the genesis of my Twitter was, um, a year and a half ago, I realized I'm going to have to quickly get on more social media than I've been. I've yeah. been a little bit resistant and Twitter was the last one for me. I had one follower, my mom, and I didn't even know she had a Twitter account. And I'm like, really mom has a Twitter account. That's interesting. <laughs> so, uh. so I went to one of my girl, my writer girlfriends. I said, how do I do this whole Twitter thing? And she suggested for me, what she did was hashtag games, which was, you know, where you can post little bits and you, you each week you'll post something else like that. Um, they'll ask for, you know, your work in progress. What, what is it about? And that kind of thing. And that was a lot of fun. I did that about two months and I gained quite a bit of followers and found Mm -hmm. a phenomenal writer community on Twitter. I didn't know existed. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's a good platform. It's a very good resource. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, Anne, for all the great tips. And I'll share those with my writers group as well. Um, so let's talk a little bit about your support groups that you've had in your past. Do you, are you part of your own writers group? Do you, do you participate in associations? I'm not, I'm not in a writers group. Um, I have done a lot of manuscript exchanges with other writers I I know, um, not for for quite a number of years now. Um, I'm I've sort of moved from you know being a recipient of of you know guidelines and feedback, although I always welcome it, to now being in a position where I'm prepared and very happy to offer that to other people. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, This year, for the first time, I'm going to be participating in the Associated Writing Programs, AWPs, Writer to Writer Program, where they oh. match mentors and mentees. Oh, and that's going to start up at the end of September. I haven't um, uh, seen the application packets yet from the mentees um, I get to choose from, but I'm really looking forward to that. That sounds absolutely exciting yeah. on both sides of it, you know, for, yeah. for as uh, an author that's been very seasoned. And I would say in my mind, you're successful from looking at your, you know, your, your history. And then for somebody like me, that's relatively new that needs mentorship. That is such an awesome opportunity. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. No, I'm gonna have to look into that myself. Maybe I can get in next year. (laughs) So that sounds great. So before we start talking about, um, I'm going to have you share with us all your titles of your books, and then we're going to jump into the one that we want to talk about. Um, Tell us, Anne, what has been your inspiration all these years? Oh, heavens, that's such a tough question. And the answer is disarmingly simple, but it's really quite complicated. Just 
you know, coming to terms with all of the things that happen in your life, the people who are in your life, the people who walk out of your life, the people you lose as you get older, things like just, you know, and, and looking at people and, and asking yourself, what is that person thinking about? What was the most important thing in that person's life? And just sort of this curiosity about the human condition, you know, nothing more than that. I I think that is probably one of the most brilliantly explained inspirations because oh, thank you. I, I do. I feel like authors tend to be people observers and we're curious and we want to know what helps motivate people. And then we want to turn that into words. So, so what, what a wonderful inspiration. Um, so let's talk about, share with the listeners your titles of your work that you have published that they can, they can get a hold of through your website. Mm-hmm. And at the end, share the last one that we're going to have you read from. Tell us what that one is. Okay, well, my first full-length book is a short story collection called All the Roads That Lead from Home. That is available in a Kindle version on Amazon uh, it went out of print in 2016, sadly. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, if anyone is interested in getting a print copy and Amazon doesn't have very many, contact me through my website. I've got a bunch sitting around and I can make it happen for you. Okay. So the second uh, book I published is, again, a short story collection that's called Our Love Could Light the World. Mm-hmm. That features my fictional Dugan family, and they show up again and again. Um, that is still alive and well and easily findable. Uh, the third book is a novel, my first novel, called What is Lost, What is Found. Mm-hmm. That's alive in the world. That was followed by a third short story collection and my first title with unsolicited press called By the Wayside. Mm-hmm. And that's available on Amazon, uh, IndieBound, Barnes & Noble, wherever. Mm-hmm. Uh, next title um, was a novel called Women Within. And that's actually done pretty well. That came out from Black Rose Writing in 2017. Mm-hmm. In 2018, I again, with Unsolicited, published another novel called The Amendment, featuring members of this same Dugan family. Mm-hmm. And that leads us to the current book um, coming out October 1st called Maggie's Ruse. The Dugan family has a pair of identical twins, Maggie and Marta Dugan, and this book is all about them. Oh, how fabulous. How exciting. (laughs) I love it. So um, my listeners love to hear the reading section of it. So Anne, why don't you set the stage for what you're going to share with us? Um, And you can set that stage by sharing whatever back history or story you need to help us have some clarification. Okay. Um, Well, I will be reading. Reading to you from chapter one, I figured just dive in. Uh, Maggie and Marta live in New York City. Um, Their mother had remarried a wealthy man several years before, and they are quite well funded. Um, A a lot of people, I think, are going to say, my goodness, these young ladies certainly don't seem to have any obstacles. But that's only true financially. Emotionally, it is not true. Uh, Maggie is an aspiring artist, and her sister, Marta, is an aspiring actress. They live together in the West Village, and um, they sort of come to a parting of the ways. And uh, I will read this to you. Uh, if you have a time limit, uh, let me know, and I will keep my eye on my watch. If 
five minutes, 10 minutes, something like that? We don't. You just are free to read as much as you want to share with us and then just let us know when you're Okay, I will read the... I'll see how far I get with the first chapter. All right, so here we go. Maggie's Ruse, a novel by Anne Lee Parrish, chapter one. The floor creaked whenever Maggie shifted her weight. The Jimmy Choo stiletto pumps were killing her. Their cherry red leather called her name in the Soho shoe boutique only an hour before, just after Kyle's text message urged her to get her lovely butt out the door and down to the gallery for the opening of Luther Galt's exhibition. That Kyle was gay didn't lessen her appreciation for his compliment. Kyle knew a good butt when he saw one. At the moment, he was across the room checking out what was on offer. Luther Galt, on the other hand, hadn't checked her out once. Her usual gambit, you've been such inspiration for my work, was received with a blank stare. Then he cleared his throat. He was shorter than Maggie by about two inches, another reason she despaired of the shoe choice. Only the other day, her mother had complained over the phone that heels had just gotten too high. Maggie didn't like talking to her mother and did so only to keep the money flowing. The corner of Galt's right eye was crusted. His face was acne-scarred and littered with blood vessels. His nose dripped, not a prime specimen by any means, and Maggie abandoned her plans to seduce him. She was a poor seducer, truth be told, though she was pretty, thin, and shapely. All things men usually liked, though not as much as they liked it in her twin sister, Marta. Marta was sassy because she was an actress, or she was an actress because she was sassy. Either way, her muse was louder than Maggie's and had pushed her further along the glittery road to success, though she'd appeared in only two plays the whole time they'd been in New York City, almost three years. Yet she spoke of herself as a seasoned veteran of the stage in a way that sometimes made Maggie admire her confidence and other times made her want to scream. Maggie looped her free arm through Galt's, and her other hand was a glass of champagne, and begged him to show her his favorite piece. The dawn of time, a muddy mess of brown and green, was at the end of the gallery, and by the time Galt had escorted her there, the little toe of her right foot was screaming. She reclaimed her arm, removed her shoes, and put them in her huge purple leather purse after asking Galt to hold her class for her. He must have assumed she was offering it to him because he drank it down in one go. The alcohol caused him to flush immediately. He looked at her keenly. You strike me as a perceptive young woman. Tell me what you're devoted to, artistically, I mean, he said. Maggie pulled out the little album she always had with her. She photographed every finished piece, labeled the photos, and put them in chronological order. As she looked over Galt's shoulder while he flipped slowly through, she made her, she realized it's sorting a color and subject might have made more sense. Maggie was obsessed with two things, door frames and empty bottles, which appeared over and over in greater or lesser degrees of abstraction, imbued most often with blues and grays, but sometimes with warmer tones and even a touch of hot pink now and then. She saw now that the current arrangement was jumbled and didn't lead the viewer through any progressive understanding. Galt paused over one, a leaning door frame with exposed hinges, and asked if the bullseyes she'd included meant she had an interest in Victorian architecture. Not really, she said. Pity. In many ways, it represented the pinnacle of design. Ah, He gave her the album back, then the empty glass, and turned away as his name was called by a tall, white-haired man in a tuxedo with a red scarf thrown rakishly over his shoulder. Maggie put the glass on the floor and patted her bay across the room to find Kyle. He was sitting on a wide windowsill, looking at his phone and sulking. As she approached, he said, Darling, you've gone native. 
They don't fit. Take them back, he said. I will. Maggie joined him on the sill. She told him about showing Galt her album and his lukewarm response. You've got to get him into your studio, Kyle said. I left, remember? She'd been working in a large co-op studio in Chelsea with two other artists. Her assigned part of it was next to a glorious bank of tall, filthy windows. It was a great arrangement. She dropped by a couple of days a week, painted for an hour or two, then went on her way in a state of energized fulfillment. Sometimes Kyle came with one of his flamboyant friends to look at her most recent work and act impressed. Once she brought a gallery owner she'd bought an expensive dinner for. The owner, a tiny woman in her 60s with a heavy silver necklace, peered over her bifocals at two canvases depicting empty bottles, all of which were tipped over, and asked if she had a particular fondness for bowling. Maggie took her question in stride, which was made a little easier by the woman really loving her rendition of one doorway within another. Have you named it? The woman, Giselle, asked. No. Call it inner child. I might find a place for it. Giselle's gallery on 23rd Street had just been renovated into a modern split-level, light-filled space with cable railings and a painted concrete floor. The floor color, a pale green, would go perfectly with the aqua hues in Maggie's painting. The crowd that gathered to admire it would be stylishly dressed, but it was the adoring gaze of one man standing apart that she craved most. He'd be tall and unkempt, with a haunted look in his green eyes. His unshaven cheeks gave him a rough air that his passion for art belied. First, he would be her patron, then her lover. In the end, Giselle had to pass. She'd just arranged a solo exhibit for a French printmaker. Later, if she put together a show that complimented Maggie's style, she'd be in touch. So much for the spellbound crowd in finding the love of her life. Not long after, a new artist joined the co-op. Leia was serious and couldn't tolerate the music Maggie and the other artist Louise liked to play when they worked. She said it made it hard for her to concentrate. Maggie and Louise complained. They liked a happy atmosphere. Sometimes they laughed and kidded around. What was the harm? Leah called them a couple of idiots. They went to the manager of the co-op, who turned out to be Leia's boyfriend, Digger. Leia was a well pers- rare person, he said. Did they realize that? She'd overcome a monstrous childhood by fighting a drive in art. Some people let their demons control them. Leia was confronting hers and doing pretty damn brilliantly as far as he could tell. Maggie agreed. Leia was hugely talented. Her abstract pieces blended the wild fury of Pollock with the measured lines of Mondrian. That's it. I love it. I, oh, thank you. Super hooked. <laughs> I hope you are. That's um, the whole idea, isn't it? Yes, it is interesting, and it's and I can definitely see the whole scene in the um, art, the gallery, mm-hmm. gallery, fantastic writing that you can create that for me to see. So wonderful, yay, bravo! <laughs> so, listeners, if you were hooked like I was, make sure you hop on. And by the time you're hearing this, listeners, um, this book will be out. Um, do we need to read the other um, book about the family to understand what's going on in this? Yes, I think you do. Okay, that's the one question I had. So, so yes, listeners, you do want to read the first, and tell us, um, and the title of the first book where the family is um, introduced. Our Love Could Light the World is book number one. Book number one. So you got to read book number one, y'all. Get that one first and then jump on and get the second one. So, Anne, before we close out the podcast, share with us um, one tip that you can give to somebody like me who's starting her journey and, um, you know, wants to break into the whole writing world? Be persistent. 
get feedback from people whose judgment just don't give up. Thank you so much for being here. Thank Dan. you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode as much as we did. Follow us on social media and sign up for our newsletter where you can be entered automatically each month to win a signed free copy of a book from an author that's appeared on the podcast. You can find out more at our website, www.squishpin.com. And finally, if you're an author in the Pacific Northwest and you would like to appear on the show, you can find out more on our website. So until next week, I hope you enjoy the journey. This is Vicki J. Carter signing off.